1: 51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. One fly ball deep left center, them on the road. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes! 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 The giving you a championship. 25 lighters on my son yes, sir. You know I've got to get paid. Center, the 25 lighters on
0: my dressing, yes sir. You know our to get paid Swing and to right.
1: to the Twenty-five on my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. It has been a while, everybody. Our good buddies at Armchair Media, proud to bring you this episode of the Platinum Sombrero, and it is I, Dylan Schwartz, joined by my my partner in crime, my esteemed colleague, really the brains of the show, a voice you haven't heard in pretty much exactly a month, Doc Herbert is back. Doc, welcome back, sir.
0: Hey, buddy. Thanks a bunch. Thank you for having me back on the show. I regret to inform everybody this is still what I sound like, but I am very pleased to let everybody know That uh, In addition to being brought to you by our buddies over at Armchair Media, we are brought to you by BetOnline.ag. You've got NASCAR, UFC, and golf back. BetOnline.ag has hundreds of games and events to bet on. You can make sure to sign up before the uh, MLB and NBA come back. If that winds up happening anytime soon, hopefully it'll be uh, not too much longer on both. They're going to have live and simulated sports as well as a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge you can enter for free. So go to BetOnline.ag on your computer, mobile device, tablet, Whatever to check out the action, Bet Online is your online wagering solution. So, speaking of wagers, this was the week of the MLB draft, and if I had placed a wager on uh, any of the Braves picks, I certainly would have gotten them incorrect. Dylan, how are you feeling about the uh, the immediate aftermath of the draft?
1: Uh, the immediate aftermath is. Always, always, whenever you get super prepped for a draft, especially something like the Major League draft, which is so much harder to predict than the NBA or the NFL draft, immediately your first thought is, I hate it. If they didn't take any of the guys that you spent months and months and months learning your na- learning their names. So it's like 500 people that you got to try to sort through. And you pick out these seven or eight guys out of 500. And you're like, all right, I really like these guys. And then they go and they take somebody that you studied maybe once or watched like a game of or never heard of. And you just kind of sit back like, well, this sucks. But uh, (laughs) that's kind of the immediate afterthought of basically any Atlanta draft. I pretty much always end up feeling the same way. I do so much work, and I I find these people that I think are perfect, but then I forget that just because I think they're perfect fits doesn't mean that they think they're perfect fits. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. So when you get into the baseball draft, now you have to realize that it's not even just about how good that player fits your team. It comes into money and how that's going to affect the draft draft the draft slots down below it it's like let me just add another 50 or 60 variables into this already super inexact science
0: yeah the the major league draft is like an onion just with all the different layers and you got to peel them back at just the right uh just the right speed and and given the the circumstances of things right now yeah, you know, we, we all know about the labor negotiations, the fact that baseball was supposed to start 10 weeks ago and it still hasn't. Maybe it'll start in another month. If we're lucky. Uh, we knew that with a shortened draft that the Braves had, were uh, down a pick because of the, the qualifying offer signings, we knew it was going to be a weird draft. And even knowing that going into it, I think it wound up being weirder than either you or I thought it was going to be. And this is the first year since 2014 that the first pick has been this deep. Uh this in 2014 they picked 31st and every other year they've been in the, been in the top 15 since then, so uh adjusting to that and and not knowing like in 2016 we knew the day of it was going to be Ian Anderson because they were picking 3 and you can actually have solid links between players and teams at that phase and you you swirl this whole 2020 thing into one massive cocktail and you realize that we, we never had any idea what was actually going to go on. But they they were able to get some really interesting guys, just none that we thought it was going to be. Nobody that had been linked to the team. So uh, let's dive into it. Let's, uh, let's start looking at round one first. What are your thoughts on Wake Forest lefty Jared Schuster taken with the 25th pick?
1: All right, so Schuster, at first, I was really disappointed in the pick, not because I think Schuster is a bad player, just because of who else was on the board. And I kind of came to a realization that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show that I think is very important for a lot of people to actually get to that point. It's it's probably going to help me a lot in the future not to seem less angry or or to seem less angry. Um, But as for Schuster, I've been talking about this on Locked On for a long time. I've probably annoyed the piss out of all of you guys that listen to that show by telling you, the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos value changeups more than any other off speed pitch. That is their main pitch. I would love to be able to talk to Alex about it because I'm pretty sure I know why. It's because the changeup is a good marker for a high pitching IQ. The changeup is not generally a pitch you see power arms throwing very well because they've just been able to run it by a lot of people throughout their whole career. Guys like Jared Kelly and Justin Lang who can throw 100 mile an hour in high school, they don't have to throw great changeups. Now, Kelly has a pretty good one, but for the most part, they don't really have to throw change because they throw 100. And 18-year-olds, I don't know if this is news to you, they're not really good at hitting 98 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour, so the fastball tends to work. But a guy like Schuster... It's almost, it, he reminds me a lot of Tucker Davidson is what I'll say. Uh, a velo spike in between his his junior season going into the senior season. So his summer on the Cape, you got to see some stuff. I mean, it's a very small sample size, but his Cape numbers and the early 2020 season numbers are certainly something to really look at and really be excited about. The strikeouts have really ticked up. But really for him, it starts and stops with the changeup. It is a Filthy changeup. I think I would still probably take Jarvis's changeup over Schuster's, just because I think Jarvis's is going to do better against major leagues. But you can't argue with a sixty-four percent whiff rate for uh, just for you guys to to compare at home. Luis Castillo has the highest whiff rate on a changeup in Major League Baseball. His is forty-three percent. So this is literally twenty percent better than Luis Castillo's. Now, granted, that's in the ACC. Uh, and that's at Wake Forest, but there, there's certainly it's it's got the right shape, it's got the right velo differential, it's got the right arm speed. It is it is a swing and miss changeup, which one of my favorite pitches to see. All in all, I don't think it's a bad pick. It's just with the people that were still available, I was a little underwhelmed.
0: And and I can see that, um, but I I kind of like it. You know, when you look at the the type of player that was associated with the Braves, because when you're picking 25th first and you just have to go off type, you saw Bryce Jarvis, Chris McMahon, Tanner Burns, uh, Clayton Beater, it was all college arms. So you you know had the idea that there was going to be a college arm, and Schuster follows in that same window, but... Very diverging opinions on on who he actually was as a prospect. You had Keith Law had him up to 26. Uh, Kylie McDaniel had mentioned, front friend of the program, Kylie McDaniel, had mentioned uh, that he was going to be a day one guy and had him ranked at 31. Uh, Pipeline had him at 77, but Jim Callis admitted that that was probably a little bit low. So... Kind of differing opinions on him. I don't think it's really that much of a reach. The biggest thing about this for me is the track record, right? Like, the first two years when he was pitching at Wake Forest, it was... Yeah, it was kind of ugly, but it, it also... It was a
1: 649 ERA his junior year, man.
0: Well, and he... Um, well, that that was his sophomore year. <laughs> but Whatever. But he follows a trajectory that you see a lot. Guy shows up on campus, is used primarily out of the bullpen, has a rough time adjusting to college, figures it out a little bit more his sophomore year, which, as you have alluded to with his ERA and just kind of the numbers across the board, not great. But he did go to the Cape. He uh, made a mechanical adjustment to um, get his hips in sync, and he was able to pick up four miles per hour on velocity. He went from um, sitting... 88 to 92 to now he sits 92 94 he's touching 96 97 and you pair that velo with the the elite changeup and a, a pretty decent feel for a slider as well back of the first round I mean this is your back of the first round starter kit and the big now I- by
1: the way by the way you mentioned the mechanical change there is something on that that you do need to be very careful of when you're watching Schuster develop now. Uh, <clears throat> I think they might have touched on this during the draft i 'm not entirely certain I know they touched on it with somebody else i don 't know if they touched on it with schuster, uh, but when he did that mechanical change, he altered the way his his uh, his front foot comes up he 's a little bit soft kneeed on his front foot, and that allows for that change up to be devastating uh, when, when you when you hear people talk about uh, a straightened out or a hard plant on your front foot—that's generally what you're looking at for fastball velocity, or things like a really sharp break on your slider. You want to be stiff-legged almost. You want you want to lock out your leg, your front leg, as much as possible to increase the transfer. Um, but when you're talking about a guy who already has a great changeup, you don't want to be too too stiff on that front knee. Think Tom Glavin. If you remember Tom Glavin, the way he would throw, why his changeup was so nasty, he never really locked out his front leg. Now granted, he threw 88-91, but that changeup was what was his main pitch. And for a guy like Schuster, the velo is nice to see. I'm more interested in perceived velo than actual velo. How does the velo look to the hitter? Does it look faster than it's ninety three? Because he's able to to have a little bit of deception. His best pitch is that changeup, so it's going to be very interesting to watch what the Braves do with his mechanics to see if they go a little too stiff-legged. There's not a I guess what I'm trying to say is they have to be very careful how they adjust his his release and his his lead leg because if they take too much away from that, you're going to see the change kind of drop a little bit it's not going to be quite as it's not going to be a 60 like it is right now
0: they are going to have to do something to his mechanics he somebody pointed out and and i'm so sorry that i can't remember who pointed this out to me um there's something about his wind up that is almost reminiscent of matt whistler a little bit the way that he keeps his forearm really really close to the body yep and you know granted that change up is for better, hiding what's that
1: so that's not good for hiding. If you're ever wondering why Matt Whistler seems to have really good stuff, like really good off-speed and get ripped apart, it's because he has no deception. When you keep your forearm really tight to your body, it's really easy for a hitter to be able to see what grip you're holding.
0: Now, and th- this is very true, which the the stuff that he's got, once it comes out of his hand, it's it's perfectly fine. But th- something about the deception, something about... He's needed the deception a little bit more before he had the velocity, and now that he's got the velo, he might not need it as much. But he's going to another level. So, is if he's going to be able to coordinate all of these things, this could be he's another really good lefty to have in the system. I don't know exactly where I would rank him right right this second. I think that that's really going to depend on the track record. So, I, I think that for all of these guys, is going to be a little bit of a mystery where where to put any of the new draftees. So, but oh, I, for sure. I think this is a good pick. I think I think it is. I think that uh once again it comes back to expectations. I know that you were heartbroken that Tyler Soderstrom was taken with the very next pick. Uh,
1: that is going to haunt the Braves for so long.
0: I know. And and this is where, you know, we talked the draft is an onion. The signability Soderstrom would have eaten up 75% of Atlanta's pool. And they only yep. had 4.15 million this year, which is third lowest in all of baseball. So Soderstrom, from a talent perspective, is superior to Schuster. And there are even guys that were taken after that. But it's a balance. So... They, they were able to save a little bit of money on this pick, which wound up being allocated in a different way than I think we both thought was going to happen.
1: <laughs> but, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So And there was no second-round pick, so this now takes us into the third round for somebody that I think I'm a little higher on than you are, and that is outfielder Jesse Franklin out of the University of Michigan. Let's talk about him.
1: For sure you're higher on him than I am. And I don't have anything against Jesse Franklin the V., um I think I I like a lot of his intangibles like I, I like the leadership that he provides he's a really very very big leadership perspective in that Michigan clubhouse uh came from a really good program in Michigan he does a lot of things very well to me it's just there's there's you're going to see a lot of people that are going to talk about the power upside there I don't see it. I don't see him as a, as a high upside guy at all. Uh, he's coming off the injury, which means you're probably going to have to Ron Gant him in his contract and say, hey, man, no more skiing. Um, or, you know, we're not going to pay you if you get injured while skiing, something like that. Um, broke his collarbone, I believe it was. So that can, that can affect some things, especially because he didn't get to play at all in 2020, which, remember that. That's going to be a little bit of a theme when we talk about track records. Um, what you're getting from him is a guy that, athletically speaking, can do a lot of things for you. He's fast. He's—I wouldn't call him a burner, but he's fast. He can steal some bases. Uh, He—he's a good fielder. He's probably not going to win any gold gloves, but he's a guy that could stick in center uh, just based on his glove. He's—he's he's a guy that has good bat-to-ball skills. He's got some pop. Think around Brett Gardner or Indurainciarte, and Brett Gardner is the guy that I think he—he he profiles most likely to be. Uh, it's just not. Not really my cup of tea, again, because there were other players on the board that I would have rather taken at that point, but that's something, again, that we're going to touch on a little bit and something that everybody needs to realize when you are talking about Major League drafts. But just looking at the player himself, I think the the biggest worry for me is not the power. I already don't think he's going to hit for a lot of power, so I've already – like that, that concern is not really concern. It's basically what I think. The biggest concern is going to be his arm because if you're telling me Franklin can stay in center field – then the profile is much better. And then the bat is a lot more acceptable. If his arm, which is a fringe arm at best, I've never seen anybody rated above fringe average, if he loses any arm strength due to the broken collarbone, essentially he's going he's gonna to be quarantined in the left field. If he goes to left field, now you're talking about you really have to change something up with the bat. Because if you're in left field and you can't hit for power, you are not a major league left fielder.
0: And you never draft for need. You can't really look at stuff like this through the lens of, like, if it were the NFL and somebody was expected to step in tomorrow. But I think in the case of Franklin, that's a really interesting thing that you bring up because, you know, the Braves have Acuna and they've got Pache and they've got Waters and they've got, you know, there's plenty of outfielders in this system. If it would be different, if Pache wasn't like a slam dunk to stay in center field and that Acuna could stay in center field, if Pache wasn't going to be there. So,
1: Franklin. And Waters could play center field, too. What's that? And Drew Waters would be center field if, if they so chose.
0: Right, and, and Michael Harris probably could, too. So you're looking at Jesse Franklin to where he's like fifth on the center field depth chart. So you start looking at logically, okay, what do you do here? Do you move him to left? And you talk about how his profile is most ideally used in center field, and if you have to move him, then that changes things. They've got to have a lot of faith in him here. And Jesse Franklin's bat is fine. Over two years he didn't play at all in twenty twenty because of the skiing accident. And he's had injuries like he's had labrum surgery. He's dealt with hamstring stuff. So And he- by
1: the way, that labrum, that's the that's the most worrisome. Labrum, it's hard to describe it to somebody that hasn't had a labrum injury. I have had one, actually. Um so I can pretty I can talk on it fairly well. Now I don't have the same access to um rehab facilities, as a lot of these guys, but the labrum is such a hard injury to come back from because it stretches out, and it always stretches out before you tear it, and you don't notice that it's torn. It just feels like your shoulder is sore. What happens is you do that over time, and the muscle actually kind of stretches and pulls away. It's not sitting tight on your shoulder anymore, so you've got a loose labrum, and what that does is, one, it hurts like a son of a gun anytime you throw the ball, but... It takes away a lot of your velo. And that's generally when people notice that there's something wrong with their labrum is their velocity starts to go really far down. starts to just tank. And it starts to hurt more and more the harder and harder they throw. Or they try to throw really hard and they can't. So they'll go and they'll get an exploratory surgery. Usually that's when people discover it's a labrum. Most people, when you think of shoulder injuries, um, you think the back of the shoulder. The labrum here is right at the front. And it's actually... It's more important for the stability of your shoulder than your rotator cuff, as far as keeping your velocity.
0: So this is obviously a very important injury that he is, he is up against. But when he's been healthy, he has hit pretty well. In the two years at Michigan, over uh, 115 games, he hit 287, 385 on base, 520 slugging, uh, 23 home runs, 102 RBI. Uh, let's see, 65 walks, 88 strikeouts. Pretty good. Pretty pretty good. So not
1: bad, not bad. It shows he's willing to take a walk. Um, and even even
0: that, his babbitt dropped about seventy points between his freshman and sophomore years. That's not always going to be the reason why average falls, but it was a pretty precipitous drop. So uh, if not for some bad luck, his sophomore year would have probably appeared much better than it does on paper. But even being as it is, two eighty seven, three eighty five, five twenty, that's nothing to nothing to shake stick at
1: big time homer in the college world series too, which everybody got to see on twitter with the big powerful bat flip um again it it's going to turn out it's going to come down to that labrum if you guys want some if you guys want some other like thoughts of of what happens to people who have bad labrums uh doc do you remember when Brian McCann came up and how he wasn't a great defensive catcher but he had a good arm vaguely he tore his labrum. He had some labrum issues, I want to say, when he was around 27 or 28. And once the labrum issues happened for McCann, the arm strength disappeared as well. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not that you can't come back from it. We're, we're certainly better able to come back from it now than we were you know, early 2000s or right before 2010. Um, it, it's just one of those that you have to be very careful, and you have to do it right. Because it's very, it's very easy when you're talking about your shoulder. If you don't do it, if you don't get it fixed quick enough, a messed up labrum will mess up your rotator cuff, just like a messed up rotator cuff will let, will cause your labrum to overcompensate. So you have to be very balanced and very careful when you rehab it. Now, according to everything I've read about him, personality-wise, he's he's definitely the quote-unquote grinder type, so that's not an issue. He's going to do what he needs to do to get back. It's just one of those things that... Everybody used to say Tommy John was the death knell for, for guys. If you had a Tommy John on your resume, then people weren't going to want you. Now it's shoulder stuff. That, that's, that's the shoulder and back injuries are always the two scariest for me. Well, it's
0: interesting that you brought up Tommy John, and that dovetails nicely with, uh, with the discussion about the Braves' fourth-round pick.
1: Like Cl- how I did that?
0: I really did. I like the, uh, the alley-oop there. So uh, Spencer Strider out of Clemson, right-handed pitcher, was a fourth-round pick. He has got a Tommy John on his resume. But, like you said, Tommy John's not not nearly the death knell that it used to be. So, um, this is a guy that's coming back after missing all of 2019, and his velo had returned in, in his very brief time in 2020. So, I think this pick, more than any of the other ones, threw everybody for a loop. He was not on BA's top 500, uh, in part due to the injury, but he was a big-time prospect coming out of high school in Tennessee. So... Another ACC guy, uh, big velo, and he's he's apparently got a pretty good curveball, and he played with Paul Byrd's son at Clemson. So, um, you know, at least he's got that going for him. So what do you think about this pick? Do you know anything about this guy, or is this just one of those we'll all learn together?
1: This is the pick that that I was the most, I'll say the most annoyed about, especially because it's starting to look like Strider might not be underslot. When they announced it, I thought for sure, all right, crazy underslot guy, they're going to go for somebody big later in the draft. That did not happen, as we'll figure out. Um, Strider's got some stuff. When he was coming out of high school, it was a big impact. He's got good velocity. That curveball is pretty nasty, too. But there's also – he's got stuff, but he's never put it together. And you're, you're right about the Tommy John, so you do have to view last season through that lens. When you're coming back from Tommy John, Velo is usually the first thing to return. As we've talked to a friend of the program, Patrick Weigel, before, getting the velocity back is not that big a concern. It's getting the command back, and Strider was not... There's, there's no other way to say he was not good last year. He was not good at all. Now, I've heard some some stuff from some Clemson people that he was expected to be their ace this year. Uh, I don't know how true that is. I I, I I tend to doubt that a guy that was that bad the season before would just go into the season at a school like Clemson as the ace, but it does show that... They thought very highly of him. And you're right. He was a big-time prospect coming out of high school. Um, the the key on him is going to be that's an upside pick. It's not a traditional upside pick because it's not an 18-year-old prep arm, but it is an upside pick. You're taking a chance on a guy that was a huge high school commit uh, or a huge high school prospect, got hurt, and we really didn't get to see him in college at all. So essentially what the Braves did here is they drafted him – looking like they drafted him as they would a prep arm, essentially. Uh, he's a little bit older than most other prep arms, but he still has all of that potential that was there as a prep. And and by the way, when we talk about prep guys as upside picks, the reason why they're generally viewed as upside picks is because people develop at different rates. So we'll talk about this when we talk about Blaze Jordan and why some evaluators really aren't fans of Blaze Jordan while others are. But a guy like Kylie, Kylie pointed this out probably three or four times during the draft uh, about blaze when everybody remembers blaze jordan being crowned the next bryce harper at 14 years old well it turned out that blaze kind of he just grew faster than his peers and as he got older he did not continue growing and a lot of his peers did grow and caught up to him which is why a guy like blaze was once viewed as the 2021 is the most locked in 1-1 pick in a long time probably since bryce harper and could fall all the way to the third round to get snatched up by Haim Bloom. Um, Whenever you're talking about prep guys, that's the inherent risk and fear is that the upside is not really upside with a lot of guys. It could be that they just reached their peak a lot faster than their peers. So the upside seems higher, but it's not necessarily higher than somebody in college. If that makes any sense.
0: No, I I think it does. And, Strider's got a a similar thing going on with Schuster where you can buy into where he is now, but you got to have a lot of faith in the fact that he doesn't have a track record. doesn't mean anything. If you're buying the fact that he's throwing 97, I mean, great. And, And he does still have some good stuff. And you even said that velocity is the first thing to come back and command is last. Well, I mean, based on what he had shown at Clemson before, he didn't have that much control to begin with now you can work with tantalizing stuff and throwing 97 is not nearly as much of a a huge thing as as it once was because it seems like everybody's doing it now but you know the four starts that he made this year or the the four appearances that he that he had uh struck out 19 with only three walks in 12 innings very small sample size but somewhat encouraging and once again i don't know how loud that was Once again, um, this is a guy that it was was just going to be weird. It was just going to be a really weird draft, and these are the types of guys that you have to take a chance on. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he's got a little bit of leverage, but I think, and and you heard people talking about this with Cole, Cole Wilcox going to the Padres, you don't make that pick unless you're absolutely positive that you're going to be able to sign him. So maybe they were able to save some money here, but... Probably not as much as people would have thought.
1: You No, know? definitely not. Definitely not. Which, by the way, when they made the pick, it was assumed that they were going to save some money and come in strong for the final pick, which that's the pick that most people have the most problem with, probably myself included, uh, Bryce Elder out of Texas. And it's nothing to do with Bryce. Bryce is actually... Bryce is a pretty similar arm to Schuster, if you think like if you really dig into it, there's not a large gap between Elder and Schuster. They don't have the upside of a lot of guys, but they're pretty decent floors. Elder's got a really good slider, he's got a good fastball as well. He's a good two pitch pitcher now his third offering needs a lot of work and there's there's some mechanical adjustments he definitely needs to make, but he's got the right body type that the Braves seem to like, and a lot of people do that that seems to think that he could pitch. Uh, a lot of innings as if anybody really throws 200 innings anymore anyway. But to me, that was the pick that bothered me because you'd went under slot on at least two of the previous three. This is the one where a guy like Carson Montgomery was still on the board and Carson Montgomery might've been the best prep pitcher period. Like the bet, the most well-balanced prep pitcher similar to similar. Would you say similarly to Matthew Allen when he was coming out? Yeah, where there, there's a lot of similarities have,
0: there.
1: He didn't have the most premium stuff, but he had the best mixture of everything, similar to Ian Anderson almost, too, where it's 55s across the board, maybe a 60 here or there, but it's it's just everything is, is good or above average. I thought for sure that would be where they get Carson Montgomery and sign him over slot. Instead, they go with Bryce Elder. They make it a four for four with college guys. Um, I didn't see a ton of Elder, but... Uh, I, I was more so disappointed that they didn't use the underslot to grab one of these high school guys like Montgomery, who, for me, it's inexplicable to me how Montgomery fell that far. I had him in the top 50, and a lot of other people did as well. So, uh, interested to see how you thought about uh, the elder pick.
0: I was looking for that dopamine hit. You know, you you see these names, and you know, you you start... Getting attached, you know, you see a mock draft with Jared Kelly's name in it. Mock drafts are just opinions. You know what I mean? And rankings are opinions. They're all subjective. They're all based on one man's opinion. But it's funny because we all wind up, we see the, Br- oh my God, the Brits are going to draft Jared Kelly, which is like one man's intel, right? And and then we hear they're going to go under slot on college in the beginning so they can go prep heavy in the back half. So we start using other people's opinions to, to, Form facts in our minds, and then we get disappointed when those facts don't happen, right? So, I wanted Montgomery or Tanner Witt, or you know, maybe the draft, any any of the the leftover guys that were still there, and it didn't happen. And and based on when they drafted Strider, I was like, okay. It, at first, it was it was going to be the Franklin pick. I'm like, okay, here's where they're going to draft Kevin Parada. and they didn't. And then okay, well, here's where they're going to draft Tanner Witt here in the fourth round. They drafted Strider. So by the time the elder pick rolled around, I'm like, they are not going to take anybody I've heard of. And that that's exactly what they did. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad pick. Um, it, it is a, a deep statement on expectations, which is the thing that you've been teasing this whole time. But elder's a fine pick. He reminds me of Bryce Wilson a little bit. He got that workhorse body. He's not quite as big as Bryce. I mean, he's 6'2", but he's like 220. He kind of embodies that... Um, brick shithouse from Texas type mentality excuse my French um, but yeah he's a strike thrower he's a guy that he followed that same trajectory I had talked about with a little rough during uh, freshman year and then figure it out a little bit during sophomore year and then you're off to the races by the time you're a junior in 2019 13 starts with a 293 ERA struck out 86 in 83 innings and and in 2020 2 and 1 208 era 32 strikeouts in 26 innings and only seven walks doesn't give up a ton of home runs he's this whole draft seemed very safe for the most part uh, you didn't see like the really high upside plays that you would have seen in previous years but there's something something to be said for safe picks especially in a year where college pitching was the strength and 75% of the picks were college pitching and this these are all guys that that the scouting department seems to believe in, not that they would come out and say like, oh yeah, we drafted this guy, but don't worry about him. He sucks. You're not, you're not going to hear anything like that. So, um, All things considered, I, I like the elder pick and I like the Schuster pick best, but I think if you dissociate from what we wanted to happen or expected to happen, that's where things get a little a little bit better in my eyes because because yeah, I wanted Carson Montgomery, I wanted Kevin Parada, I wanted any I wanted Tyler Sodastrom. I want all of those guys.
1: Dylan McLean. But,
0: yeah. I mean, but I watched zero, like literally zero Wake Forest baseball. When I saw the clip of Jared Schuster on ESPN, first time I'd ever seen him throw a pitch ever. So who am I to really say that this isn't gonna be a great pick? And first round guys and deep picks the rate of attrition and the rate of busting in the MLB draft is huge. So you can take a super high upside guy that the industry is super high on, or you can stick with your gut and say, I believe in this guy. I think he's going to be able to help us in your role with it. And besides this, what were you really missing out on this year? You know,
1: Where'd- it's one of those things that I've, I've just have to make a point of, and, and a lot of people probably need to consider this point as well. Um, Now, this is the second draft with Alex in charge, Alex and Dana Brown in charge. Now, when you listen to Dana Brown actually talk about the the Schuster pick and talk about one of the first things out of his mouth was how it would allow them to spread money around later, that is their strategy. It's what they did last year. It's what they would have operated under this year. So while I disagree with their draft philosophy, I'll give them major props for sticking to their model. Uh, even in the season, even in a draft with only five rounds and only four picks, sticking to the same model so that you don't get too crazy uh, and ruin, you don't get too crazy for next year to ruin your model on a small season this year. Uh, it's it's just fundamental differences in the way we look at stuff. Alex and Dana very obviously, uh, they very obviously prefer high floor guys. That's what they value the most. Is to, if they know that you can be a major league player of some sort, then they put a higher value on that than. Then maybe what your potential might be. If they think that you could, you know you could potentially be a, a star, but you have a floor of never makes it to the show early on, they're probably going to take those high floor guys. That might be a consequence of some of the things that happened to Alex when he was in uh, when he was in Toronto, because it's certainly not the way that the Dodgers play things. Um, but it's important to note that uh, it's just when you have a fundamental difference, I'm just, I just look at drafts differently than Alex. So naturally just about any draft that Alex runs, I'm going to come away a little underwhelmed because it's just not the way that I think it doesn't mean that it's right or doesn't mean that I'm right. And Alex is wrong. Obviously Alex has paid a dang good amount of money to do what he does. He's accomplished far more in the game than I have. Uh, It's just, it's a, it's a pretty stark contrast between Dana Brown and Brian Bridges. Um, I think that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of people to kind of get over. As we look at these, and we, when invariably, whenever you make a mock draft, you end up making that mock draft as if you are the GM. So every pick you start to put down are guys you've convinced yourself is the perfect fit for this team. Uh, so when you come across a guy who has a completely opposite philosophy, it, it's not hard to see why you're a little bit underwhelmed. Doesn't mean it's wrong, just means that if you're asking me thoughts on an Alex Anthopoulos draft, they're probably going to come out and look fairly negative, or I'm just going to have to tell you that it's just not the way that I would do it. doesn't mean it's wrong, and I basically have to recuse myself from the conversation.
0: Expectations are the thief of joy, my friend. It's it's one of my favorite quotes that there is. Sometimes you just got to sit back and enjoy the ride. And remember... 2015, the Braves drafted this Canadian kid who was ranked 60th overall with the 28th pick, and everybody everywhere slammed that pick. Five years later, Mike Soroka is most people's favorite pitcher. So, I know nothing, you know nothing, no offense. You know, none of us know anything. And even the the people that do this for a living, they still bust on this all the time. So, it's... uh, The most important thing for me is that, yeah, I know we just got like five minutes left here to talk about this, but this is the first time I have been emotionally invested in a baseball event in (laughs) eight months. And it was, I had forgotten what it feels like. You know what I mean? Like, it was the best thing to like be kind of like, I think I want to bite my fingernails. I'm so nervous or whatever. You know what I mean? it's like Dude,
1: this is the first time I've watched more than the first round of a Major League Baseball draft ever. I watched every single pick.
0: It's, yeah, it's it's pretty monotonous, but, you know, it, and for as much research as you like to do and, and, and as I like to do, and this is the first year that I, I didn't do the draft composite, which was super weird, but I still did some research on it, and you start to just, they're just names, right? They're just floating around, and then they're getting drawn out of a hat, and you start to see, like... The first time you see the name go up against the logo and it 's like this name is going to be associated with with this logo for the rest of time it 's a really cool thing because you know the the two thousand and twenty one draft scouting has already begun and and you you 're going to see these names a thousand times you know kumar rocker and, and Judd fabian and all, and all these different guys that are going to be in the mix for the next year and finally you 're going to see like the Kumar Rocker and in his Orioles jersey, or, or whatever the case may be. So it's cool. it's cool to do that. I just, I'm really hoping that, you know, we're at the end of a negotiation cycle. Manfred came in and he was like, look, there will be baseball, to which Carl Ravitch dunked all over him. But he just came out and said, look, if they can't figure it out, I'm going to tell them what to do, which is, in the long run, is probably not the greatest decision. But if you're sitting there worried about whether or not they're going to fully cancel the season – rest assured there, there will be something, but, uh, it was, it was really nice to, to have my, my fandom back full center, you know, cause it, it really feels like we had this just taken away from us. And, uh, it was nice, man. It was, it was really cool.
1: It, it was nice to see something related to baseball for some other sort of reasons other than why can't they get this figured out? Um, It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with undrafted free agency now that every team is on a level playing field. I'll be very interested to see how that comes out Uh, next week or the coming weeks whenever we do our next show, which I can promise won't be a month from now. Uh, (laughs)
0: Let's
1: hope not. My God. We'll take a look at the undrafted free agency and everything that's going on. But unfortunately, Doc mentioned things like Thieves of Joy. Unfortunately, time is a thief of joy as well. We are out of time for today's episode, so Glad to be back and gracing your guys' ear holes again. Glad to have you guys listening to the show again. We will be back relatively soon. Thank you guys. Y'all have a great day. Thank you guys for listening to the Platinum Sombrero. Mm -hmm.